You may be seated. We'll take communion when we get to the, to the end. For those of you on the front, you've got cups. We had to stage some up here, but you'll find plenty. They're, they're in the room in the little wire rack in front of you when we get to the end of the service. Uh, several conversations have already happened this morning. Pastor, when can I join the church? And uh, what, what, are, what, what are the next steps? I know some of you need to be baptized, and some need to, to formalize that church membership. All I want to say to you right now is stand by later this week. An announcement will go out through our uh, social media blasts and, and et cetera. And it will tell you when the next Discover Cornerstone, which is the membership class, will launch. And it should take off here just in another week or so. Baptism class as well. So just be watching for those. They'll happen here in the month of uh, September. And uh, we'll get you guys all uh, officially in and, and serving and, and ready to go. Uh, let's talk about encouragement this morning. Uh, I've, I've read a lot of articles and really trying to keep my finger on the pulse of what's happening nationally with our churches and, and to, with people's, obviously, spiritual growth, but, but also very connected is that mental health aspect that we talk from time to time about here. I read an article from psychologist Melissa DeWitt. Uh, it was published in the Stanford News, and uh, uh, the, the article that she wrote... Uh, she was talking about social distancing and how it's now affecting us. And there are effects of it. When you uh, plunge everyone's lives into major upheaval and then to begin to isolate ourselves from one another, th there's some major uh, side effects to that that you haven't even heard discussed in our society yet. But they're coming more and more. And the longer it gets protracted, if it does the more you're going to see the side effects. She pointed out that social distancing, this is her quote, pushes against human beings' fundamental need to connect with one another. Now this is, I'm not, I don't know if she's a Christian or not, but I know she's a psychologist from Stanford, and she says, basically the social distancing is depriving you of something that's innate, inerrant in you, a need for social connection with people. And we, we know this is true because we often get engaged in self-destructive behaviors, unfortunately. In other words, when we feel melancholy, your heart may cry out, I don't want to go to church and be around people. I just want to be by myself. It's a destructive behavior. When we get discouraged, we tell ourselves, you know what? The last thing I need is to be around people. Well, let me peel back the layers a little bit because actually the very thing you need when you're discouraged or melancholy or dealing with that bluesiness that invades our lives from times to night or that unsettled feeling that you get from time to time and really can't put your finger on maybe what it is and you're like well I just want to be left alone the actual thing you need is to be in community with people you need to be around people but let me qualify that not just any people solve the problem you need to be around God's people. The longer we stay away from our interaction with our church, the, the longer I stay away from other temples of God who are filled with the Holy Spirit, the longer I'm separated from that, the further I descend into discouragement. Now, whenever you think about our church, uh, I, I'm very optimistic about this, by the way. Whenever you think about Cornerstone, the one thing I always want you to think about is this is a place where I go to be encouraged. I always want you to have when somebody says, hey, church or worship or let's get together, I want the, the 
feelings and the thought processes in your, your mind always to be, yay, uh, yes, I need that. It's refreshing. It's encouraging. Because when, when you come to worship here, we want you to always walk through those doors with some expectation that when you walk back out to your life, your heart's going to be full. You're going to have received comfort and encouragement and love and, and, and something, maybe intangible that you can't put your finger on, but it's there. Call it that fresh filling of the Holy Spirit. But when I walk out those doors, I'm ready to go face a week now. I, I mean, we kind of know what our week's going to look like a little bit. Not all of it's great. And it can be discouraged, but now at least we're recharged, if you would, to go back out there and engage a world that needs to see a reflection of Jesus Christ through our lives. I notice when I read my Bible, for sure, that Christians were excited in the Bible when they talked about getting together. They often met in homes, and that's really the New Testament form of worship. They didn't have big buildings like, like we have access to. They had uh, more or less church homes where they met, and they got overcrowded very quickly with the disciple-making and, and uh, the evangelism that was happening in Corinth and Ephesus and those places. Those houses got full very quickly, caused a whole other set of problems because now some people are right here in the living room and some people are out there in the front yard try, trying to hear, and it caused another set of problems that Paul begins to deal with in, in, in 1 Corinthians. But we have this wonderful place to come together, and when you come to this place, we want you always to have this joy in your heart that I'm going to go to church today, and I'm going to be encouraged, and, and I'm going to be blessed. And, and it's not by the pastor. I don't want it to come across that way. You're going to be blessed by the other people who have come to worship with you. You're going to be blessed by the presence of God where his people are gathering together. I, I was thinking about it this week. I mean, the Bible says that in Jesus Christ is everything we need. I'm just thinking like, okay, in Christ, the encouragement that we need. There is an ocean of encouragement in Jesus Christ. There is an ocean. Of, he said he's the God of all comfort he has the monopoly on this. He has so much to give. There is an ocean of blessing in Jesus Christ. But our job is to get to the beach. Now I want you to think about this. I believe God does his part, but I believe we also have to do our part. There is an ocean of blessing and comfort and encouragement waiting for you to enjoy. But you've got to get yourself to the beach to enjoy that ocean that's out there. Well, praise God, you're at the beach this morning. You got yourself up, and maybe you wish you were in your flip-flops. That's fine. Wear them on if that's what it takes. And just pretend you're going to the beach on Sunday morning. But there is, God, God is waiting to bless you is what I'm trying to say. You make an effort to reach out to Him and let Him immerse you in all that He has for you. Encouragement requires our presence. If you really are starving for comfort and encouragement, there's something about your presence that, that is a key part of this. Encouragement requires our presence. When Paul reached out to the Roman church, he had never been to Rome, never met this church. He didn't know these people by sight. He knew of them, and he knew some of the people that he had met in Ephesus and Corinth who had gone now over to Rome, and he wants to come and visit the people in Rome. 
So he writes a letter to them and saying, hey, I'm going to try to come and see you guys. But he writes this letter, and here's what he says in the letter, Romans 1.11. For I want very much to see you, so that I may impart some spiritual gift to strengthen you. But Paul's goal wasn't, I'm going to come see you, and I'm going to impart to you some spiritual gift, and the church is going to be strengthened and encouraged and comforted. And you can tell his, his whole mission in writing is not to blow these people up or, or lecture them or scold them. He's like, I, I want to pour something out that your life would just be rich in Jesus Christ. And the exchange of letters, which he's doing right now, is not the same. That's what he's saying. I long to come and see you that I may impart some spiritual gift to you because writing your letter is not good enough. I'm going to try to write some good things that will encourage you. That's not the same as hugging your neck. That's not the same as an embrace. That's not the same as a, as a handshake. That's not the same as sitting at the table and breaking bread together and talking about our lives and our children and our marriages and the goodness of God and our common salvation and what we believe. There's something about this presence that makes it very unique. Sure, uh, all of us all week long accomplish things through texts and emails and Zoom meetings. I, I love technology. Technology is wonderful. But in this modern age, I want you to remember, technology has limitations. Your neighbor may need to hear from you this week. I mean, your real neighbor or your coworker. They may need more than a memo or an email or a text. They may need to just look into each other's eyes and say, hey, I've been thinking about you. Is everything okay? Can I pray for you? You've been on my heart. You have no idea what that might do to transform someone's meet a week being together meets one of the basic needs of our lives let me give you an illustration jesus was facing what we consider to be one of his moments big moments imagine you know in less than 12 hours gonna be nailing you to a cross he's in the garden of gethsemane he's now about to go and kneel down in the garden and begin to pray to the father And on that night before his death on the cross, as he wrestled with God in prayer, and he said, Father, is there any other way to accomplish the salvation of these people other than the torture I've got to go through tomorrow? If there is, Father, let this cup pass from me. Is there any other way? And when he gets his peace in prayer, the answer obviously is there is no other way. Nevertheless, then, Lord, Father, your will be done, not my will. And as he agonized, and as he cried, and as he's drenched in sweat, Bible says sweating as if it were great drops of blood falling down to the ground. What it's describing is this intense, emotional, spiritual experience that he's having. And here's the curious thing. Jesus wanted his disciples, he wanted those he called his friends. Remember he said, I don't call you servants, but I call you my friends. He wanted that group of people that he called his friends, his disciples, to be with him in this moment. Now, you have to ask yourself, why? Well, the easy answer for me from that text is the why is this. There was something about the presence of his disciples and his friends that made that moment bearable. There was something about that great moment of agony as he realizes, I'm going to die in a few hours. Not just die. I mean like tortured to death. Not like a bullet to the head. 
Not like a, you know, I mean like a protracted, agonizing, torturous death when the sun comes up. And the beating will start tonight in a few hours. And as he realizes that, you know what he wants? He just wants to be around somebody who actually loves him. Now this is the thing. Sometimes when you're going through some stresses and some pains and some unease or, or, or maybe a victory, we'll talk about that in a moment, you just need to be surrounded by somebody who loves you. And they don't always have to make eloquent speeches or, or, or beautiful prayers, but just there's something about presence. I like to call it a ministry of presence. I've told you this many times when 9-11 happened, they asked for many pastors to come to New York. And as we were training to go and be a part of that, one of the things that we all talked about in the group is they said, they said what we're experiencing is when a group of pastors, or really Christians, but it means pastors, but when we have a group of ministers come to New York City and begin to move through those tents and through those streets where those people are, are suffering, it brings peace and calmness, and we can't explain it, and we don't know what exactly is going on, but we want you guys to come. Now, that never made the news, but that's what they were telling us behind closed doors well uh, i was looking at mom and the others who were being trained there in the room when we were we were dealing with that and, and we said we know what it is that brings the peace and the calmness it's the presence of the holy spirit flowing through the people of god listen sometimes you just need to sometimes you need to be around somebody who you know has your back your best interests, and who loves you unconditionally and who'll be with you to the very end and that just just the presence of such a person in your proximity, brings you some level of comfort that words cannot describe. Jesus said, could you guys come into the garden and pray with me? Now, they didn't know what was about to happen, but Jesus knew what was about to happen. And he said, I want my friends, I want my disciples to be around me. Christian assembling in worship like this uh, is a beautiful thing. We can worship in small groups. You can worship privately. And I don't want to diminish any of those. They all have their place. But there is a clear command for this and there is a reason that God commanded this. Because he knew that we needed presence. Because it supplies a level of encouragement we can't get. Now listen, I, I want to praise the, the deacons and the leaders of the church. I'm tell you, for six months they have spent hours, hours every week. On social media, on texts, on emails, on phone calls, making sure that not one single member, not one single visitor went without contact from the church family to make sure there was nobody sick, nobody suffering, nobody without food, nobody who couldn't get to Walmart, nobody without toilet paper, God forbid, nobody without anything. And I, listen, I want to praise you because that's the care within the body of Christ that the scripture talks about, that we care for one another as if we were family because we are one in Christ Jesus. I read a story that was written many, many years ago. I just want to read a piece of this story to you. It struck me in a certain way as I was preparing. A man in a military uniform walked into an ICU ward. And as soon as he came through the double doors, the nurse was kind of, watching for someone and, and and she walked right over and she she grabbed the serviceman by the arm and she said well thank god you're here come quickly and she took that guy and drug him right into an icu room 
And the, he's, he's in his military uniform. And when he comes into the, the ICU room, there's a very frail old man in an oxygen tent. She, she drags the serviceman in and she says to the man in the oxygen tent, He's arrived. Your son is here. And they're all looking at each other and the patient's eyes open for just a few minutes. He was heavily sedated. He had had a heart attack and had been in extreme pain. Through the plastic of the oxygen tent, he saw the soldier standing there. And immediately his hand shot out from underneath the oxygen tent. He reached out and grabbed the hand of the marine. Your son's here, the nurse said. The Marine wrapped his big, strong fingers around that frail hand. And the nurse grabbed a chair and slid it right over beside the bed. The Marine sat down next to the man who was in so much pain. The nurse came and went several times. Her record said the young Marine never left the side of the old man. That he held his hand. She said several times when I came in and out of the room, I could hear the young man whispering words of encouragement, words of love, kind things. She said, I couldn't hear everything that was said, but I know there, by the tone of what was happening, that words of encouragement were being said. The soldier held tight to the dying man's hand all through the night. Somewhere around dawn, the old man left this life and went out into eternity. The Marine released the lifeless hand and tucked it under the tent and laid it on his chest. The Marine walked out the ICU room, bumped right into the nurse. And the Marine said this to the nurse, who was that man? The nurse, with startled eyes, said, are you talking about your father? He said, yeah, who was that man? She said, that's your father. The Marine says, no, that's not my father. I've never seen that man before in my life. The nurse just, color went from her face. She said, oh, my goodness. She said, why didn't you tell me I had made a mistake? The Marine said, well, As soon as I saw him, I knew a mistake was made. But once I had his hand in mine, he said, all I knew is that man needed the presence of his son. And his son wasn't here. When I realized he was too sick to tell whether I was his son or not, what he needed was the presence of his son. And in that moment, I became his son. Knowing how much he needed my presence, I decided to stay. When I read that story, I thought, God, whatever you put in that Marine, would you put some of that in all of us this morning? And may God remind each of us today how much the other people in this assembly need your presence. And I guess we could put the shoe on the other foot. May we all be reminded by God this morning how much we are not rugged individualists riding off into the sunset, 
but how much we actually need other people in our lives. We need them for comfort and encouragement and love. Now let me elaborate on Paul because Paul says that encouragement is a two-way street. Now I read Romans 1, 11, where Paul says, I long to come and see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift. And if you stop right there, it sounds a little bit arrogant. It's like, I got all this, and if I could just get to you, I could give you all that, and then you'd be all this, you know. It's like, I got all this, and I'm going to bestow some great blessing on you. Sounds a little, a little one-sided. Let, let me read the next verse, though, because I think the Holy Spirit may have just said, Paul, don't leave it there. It, it'd be like me saying, man, I hope I can get over to the Smith house and really bless you with my presence. That's the way it sounds. And I think the Holy Spirit prodded Paul because Paul did want to bless them. And he had a lot to bless them with. He had a lot to say that nobody really understood about God and Jesus and the unity of the church and equality of men and women and slaves and Jews and, and all of this that nobody had really ever got laid out properly. And Paul's like, i got a lot of things I want to bless you with. But it sounds one-sided if you leave it there. So the Holy Spirit said, let's, 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 let's add another sentence to that, okay? So here's the next sentence. That is, let me clarify. What I mean to, let's don't put a period there, let's put a comma. What that is, what I mean to say is that we might be, you see these words? Mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. So here's what Paul said. Paul said, I want to come to you because I really want to bless you with some spiritual gifts. Comma, not period. What I really mean to say is I really want to be blessed by you too. I want it to be a mutual encouraging that happens when the church gathers together. You know what? That's what I want every small group meeting of this church to be. A mutual encouraging when you gather with your disciples. That's what I want every deacon's meeting to be. A mutual encouraging so what i want every elders meeting and every financial meeting and every worship gathering and every class and every wednesday module to be a moment of mutual encouragement where god's people get in a room together and 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 pray together and talk about jesus together and talk about life together and pour into each other certainly we don't want to send the message here well i hope you can get here so i can bless you you know it's not like that, and I never want you to think it's like that. It's not like that. I'm as encouraged on a Sunday morning by your presence as you are by my message. You are as blessed by the songs as the people who are singing the songs. It's a mutual encouragement. Let me see if I can draw this out just a little bit. The focus of our worship when we come together is God. God is the audience. I want to be very clear on this. A lot of people really get this messed up. Well, you know, we're, we're the audience and we're clapping for the performers. No, you, you misunderstood the context here. God, the triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit, that's our audience in worship. It is God we worship. But he commanded us to do it together as a big family like this. We call it corporate worship. It means a big gathering of the whole entity of the church. We gather together for worship, but knowing the audience is God... And the worshipers, the participants are all of us. And all of us have some spiritual gifts to exercise. 
Uh, wow, when I came in this morning, there's, there's people sweeping and people putting out communion cups and people arranging chairs and people taking temperatures and people getting the sound system ready and people getting the AC just right, and people getting the camera set up and, and, and people getting their instruments ready. There's a lot going on, like a beehive here this morning. You know what? That's mutual using of your gifts, whether it's administration or helps or, or, or whatever your gift is. Just, just looking at a moment and saying, how can God use me right now to lift the church? That's what using your spiritual gift is all about. How can God use me right now to lift everybody? How can I be encouragement to this body of Jesus Christ? God's the focus of our worship, but he's not the only one who's blessed by worship. I'm as blessed by worship, I hope, as God is. I hope you're as blessed when we worship God. God's blessed and honored, but your heart is filled and blessed and honored. We are the congregation. We are the worshipers, and we are blessed in the participation of worship. Now, I I give you a few maybe Bible examples of how this works. You remember Moses went up to Mount Sinai and, and had a unique moment. I'm not saying you can have this moment, but he had a unique moment where he really kind of spoke face to face with God, if you would. And, and, and they had this interaction, and the mountain looks like it's on fire and all of this. And when Moses comes down off of Mount Sinai, do you, do you remember what happened to him? He went up looking like a normal man. He came down from the presence of God with this glowing light coming off of him. The Bible says they had to put a veil on him. Like the Middle Eastern women might veil themselves. You, you know, They had to put a veil on Moses because or everybody had to wear sunglasses to look at him because he just he was his countenance was beaming you say what happened he was transformed through being with god can i say it in a very modern vernacular being with god rubbed off on him you know what paul said in the new testament when you open the word of god and commune with god and the holy spirit you're transformed in the same glory transformed into the same image God is transforming you to be like him. And one of the ways he transforms you is when you get into the presence of all of God's people. Little by little, something's happening to you. You're becoming a little more like Jesus Christ. Remember what David said. David wrote in Psalm 22, he said, When God's people praise, now he's a psalm writer, he's a song writer, worship song writer. He's a Chris Tomlin of his age. And when he wrote his worship songs, part of what he said in his worship songs is, when we come together to worship God in praise, God comes down, comes down. God is omnipresent. I don't know how else to say it, though. God inhabits the praises of his people. You think, well, it's just another meeting. It's not just another meeting. God is here. We're going to break the bread and the wine. You say it's bread and juice. It's just a thing. It's... it's sanctified and God shows up in a special way you say well it's just water from the city water pipes and we're baptized no the Bible says when you follow in believers baptism something supernatural is happening you're raised to walk in newness of life something bigger is going on than meets the eye and I want you to know when we walk through these doors on a Sunday morning something bigger is happening than meets the eye David said, God is inhabiting, he is dwelling, he is present in the praises of his people. It was Jesus himself, Matthew chapter number 18, verse 20, who said, where two or three are gathered in my name. Look at his emphatic statement. I am 
there. I am there. Well, welcome, Jesus. We're glad you're here. Amen? Where we are gathered. Again, you got to get to the beach. <laughs> when we are gathered in the house of God, here's the promise of Jesus Christ. I, say it with me, am there. I don't ever, never forget that. Teach your children this. When we gather as a church, you say, well, it's, you know, it's like a homeowners association meeting. Not in a long shot. Not by any stretch of the imagination. We've gathered to worship Jesus Christ and sing his praises. Here's the promise of Almighty God. I am, I am there. Now, if he is here, and I'm not saying that we're like a question mark, since he is here, doesn't that change a little something about how we sing? Or, or, or how we interact? Or how we carry ourselves? Or, or what we think? Or what we do? Sure it does. And if he is here, and that's a guarantee from the word of God, and you really need to connect with God, maybe, listen, let's all be honest. Can we be honest for a minute? We're going into God's house. Let's be honest for a minute. Sometimes when you pray, it feels like you're not connecting. Can I get a witness on that? Yeah. It's just... Sometimes it just feels like, listen, the psalmist said the same thing. God, why are you distant? Why are you not? Now he's not. It's, it's, it's not you. It's us. I get that. I get that. But if you want a guaranteed way to be able to connect with God in the next seven days, here is one right here. I am there. And Jesus, we're glad you're here because we need you. I need you. My bank account needs you. My health needs you. My mental health needs you. My children need you. My wife needs you. I need you. My city needs you. My country needs you, Jesus. This world needs you. So thank you for keeping your promise to meet with your people. I've heard people, and unfortunately they're serious when they say this. They're not joking. I've had many people over this 30 years of pastoring say to me, well, pastor of the deer blind is my church. I've always wondered how you give the offering in that situation. Who leads the worship? What kind of prayers go? I, I, I've had a lot of people say to me over the years, the lake is my church, pastor. I've had some people say to me, pastor, the golf course is my church. Now, I get, because I love the outdoors too, and I love all of those things. Hunting and fishing and hiking and kayak, I love all of that. And I love to commune with nature, and I can see God in nature, and I can meet God in nature. But being isolated by myself in nature so that I might commune with God is a completely different thing than worshiping with God's people. And to say, well, the office is my church. It sounds like your God might be success then. <laughs> You see what I'm saying? It's a misunderstanding of what worship is really about. I've heard people say, well, me and Jesus make the church and just me and God, you know, we're good. No, that's, you're misunderstanding the entire New Testament about worship. Yes, you can worship alone, and you should worship alone. I hope you have a little, I think most of us are worship moments when you get in the car to go to work, typically, if you still get in the car to go to work. Maybe we're missing a lot of worship, because that's been for decades the normal Christian in America's prayer and worship time has been, 
I got a 20-minute commute. If there's no wrecks, let me put some Bible on or, or uh, you know, sing some worship music. And that becomes a worship moment for most of us. Isn't that true? 20, 30 minutes, some of you longer, every day of your life, uh, adult life, as, as you live out your, your, your vocation. Well, we've been stripped of all of that for six months. We're a little deficient on that. Now, I don't want to kick private worship. What I want to do is I want to commend public worship. I want to commend to you corporate worship. There's, a, there, there, there's something distinct about this. And I think what's distinct about it to me is this. It, when the praise team begins and the worship team begins to sing their praise, their praise, it becomes our praise. It's their song, but now I get to join it. Now it's my song too. Then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee, how great thou art. They led it. I grabbed it right there. And it became my song right there a few minutes ago. And my heart said to my God, how great you are. Now I know Chris was singing to his God, how great you are. And Tammy was singing to her God, how great you are. But it's my God too. And I grabbed your song right there a few minutes ago. And it became my song. I owned it. Now that's called participating in worship. Own it. Let me see if I can take it a little bit further so we can really understand why it's important to be together. You see, when, when someone leads in prayer, and they pray here in this room, their prayer is now captured by us. Yeah, it's going to God. We're not the audience. It's going to God. But because we heard it, now we grab a hold of it. And when someone says, God, we love you, we, we just grab that and say, I'm owning that too. How about... I'll second what he just said. I'll third what she just said. Amen to what they just said. Matter of fact, when someone says amen, they're saying I agree with God, but they've also, because they've audibleized it, have now testified to the church. See, that's what it means to be together. The truth is, all of us need others in our life to share with, both the good and the bad, the blessings and the trials. I think I've taught this to you before, but let me, let me remind you of something you already know. My blessings are multiplied when I share them. Now, I think this is why we're Facebookers and Instagrammers and, and all of this, because most of us, if we have a victory, there's something natural, normal, innate in us that wants to share that and say, hey, I just got a promotion. Now, what do I want you to do? I just posted, hey, I just got a promotion. What do I want you to do? Exactly. I want Alan to get on my, my page and say, that's awesome. Praise God. You rock. You, you know, that's well-deserved. Bobby, you've been, you, you know, and when Tammy posts something out there and says, man, I just got a new car. Look at this. We got a new car. Puts a picture out there. You know what she's wanting us all to say? Oh, that's cool. That's awesome. I love those cars. I wish I had that car. I'm so jealous of your car. You know, I love that. I'm glad God blessed you with that awesome car. Listen, when, when one of our young couples posts a picture of that little bundle of joy and said, look what just happened. <laughs> well, it didn't just happen, but it just happened. <laughs> yeah. By the way, we got all kinds of office pots and side bets going upstairs about how many babies are coming here in a few months. <laughs> yeah, the COVID babies are coming. Yeah, you lock all of God's people up somewhere for a few months Something's bound to happen, right? Listen, but when somebody posts that picture, you know what they're wanting? 
they had a blessing, they want you to enter in the blessing with them because they get to relive the joy of their blessing every time you comment. God, I just got to relive that again. Whoo, got to relive that again. Yeah, that's awesome. You know what I'm saying? And it's almost like the blessing, you know, it's like now, uh, like Jeremy had a birthday last week. Happy birthday, Jeremy. But he's been milking that for like weeks. Okay? I mean like weeks. We took him out to lunch. He's like, well, today's not the actual day. It's a few days from now. So then we do it again. You see what I'm saying? So it's just like, it's just like we just keep doing the birthday. But, but the thing is, this is a good illustration. Though. When I have a blessing, the whole point is, I, it's like a wave I'd like to surf for a while. You see what I'm saying? I'd like that just to go. Life is so short. Let's live in some of that joy in a protracted sense. And what helps us protract it out a little bit is by sharing it with people. Listen, this one people invite people to their weddings. Congratulations to the Birchfields yesterday. You know what I'm saying? So, why people want participation. So, they want people to share in the joy. It's not just they want your gift, that too, but it's not just about that. They want you. To be in the moment with them. Because then my blessing is multiplied exponentially. Uh, let, let me give you the other side of this too. My burdens are lighter when I share them. My burdens are lighter when I share them. Now, I'm going to speak to some of you. And when I do, I'm speaking to myself, okay? But some of you, when you go through a, a, a trial or you're carrying some burden or some hardship, you just shut everybody else out. Because you don't want anybody to make a fuss over you. I just don't want to draw attention to myself. You know what I'm saying? It's no big deal. I got this. And I don't need to trouble. Everybody else has their own problems. You don't need to hear about mine. Now, am I speaking to anybody in here? Okay. Let's learn something in the house of God today. That thing you carry is going to be lighter if you'll share it with someone. You say, I don't want to trouble you. It's not trouble. We love you. It's not trouble if my wife wants to share a burden with me. She, she can share it and I gladly would receive it. Amen? And she'd gladly receive any burden from me because we're in a loving relationship that shares things. Good or bad. And we rejoice together in the good, but sharing the burden makes it so much lighter. You say, no, there's nothing you can do to help me. That's not the point. We may not be able to fix your problem. That's not the point. The point is when you share that you have a problem or that you're carrying a burden or something heavy is weighing on, when you share that, like with your discipleship group or a friend or a coworker or a, 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 a co-church participant, when you share that, something about it just got lighter and easier to carry. Now, I'm giving you a mental health challenge. Uh, if you're carrying something that's really got you down, tell somebody. You're like, nobody cares. Yes, they do. Don't you? Yes, you care. We love you. And if you're carrying a burden, share it with somebody. And if you don't know what to say, just say, walk up to one of these people with the deacon tag on. Walk up to one of these people with the deacon tag on and say, lady, just, I'm dealing with this. I don't need you to do it. I just, pastor said, tell somebody. And that's all you have to say. And then just let it flow out. And let them put an arm around you and pray for you in that moment. And when you walk away from that conversation, you're going to say, you know what? They weren't kidding. 
that felt right. Yeah, and if you do that a few times with people who genuinely love you and care for you, you're just going to find your burdens begin to get easier and lighter and more manageable. People say, well, I don't want to go to church and be around a crowd. Being around a crowd is exactly what I need sometimes. It's exactly what I need sometimes. I can worship God by myself every day, absolutely. But the whole point of Sunday is to do it and to do it together. In this church, we have voluntarily put ourselves into a mutual environment of mutual encouragement. We've come together to say, we're going to create an atmosphere of mutual encouragement. Let me read from Hebrews 10. And let us watch out for one another. So I'm about coming together for church, and I'll show you that in a minute. Why should we look out for one another? To provoke love. Have you ever been provoked before? Okay, this is the opposite of that. <laughs> this is being, so I don't know how to characterize provoke. Taunted is not the right word. Pushed. Have you been pushed to a certain point where you reacted? You know what the scripture is saying here? Let's push each other to love. That's what Cornerstone is about. We're going to push you when you come together in this family to love outside your circle, to love outside yourself. We're going to push you to love as Christ loved others. Let's provoke one another to love and to what else? Good to good works. We're going, to, we're going to push each other to say do the right thing and do good things. You know how the scripture says you overcome evil? Not, not by violence and more evil. You overcome evil by good. We're going, to, we're going to provoke one another to good works. Then he gets to the church worship verse, which is so famous. It's verse number 25. Where it says, not neglecting to gather together. Don't neglect gathering together like we've done today, as some are in the habit of doing. And I have to lift my hand. For six months I've been in the habit of not, I mean, here we are. We're all starting new habits again this morning. Let's not neglect the assembly, by incur, but encouraging one another. Paul, who I believe wrote the book of Hebrews, is saying right here, when you come together, we come together to provoke, to push each other to love, to good works, and we come together to mutually encourage one another. Let me give you my last thought this morning. You're, you're, you are encouraged by our faith. You are encouraged by our faith. Our faith strengthens you. And I, and I mean, as a participant of the church, your faith strengthens us. But you're encouraged by our faith. Our core beliefs here hold us together, and they are the very basis for our assembling. Let me read you Paul's words one more time, Romans 1.12. That is to be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. Now, let me give you a word of caution. Simply getting together with people is not always necessarily encouraging. For example, you could gather with 20 people in the waiting room of your physician. Would not necessarily be an encouraging gathering. Okay? You could gather together with six of your coworkers in a conference room for a financial meeting. Would not necessarily be the most encouraging uh, gathering together. There's a distinctive quality 
about meeting with God's people that makes them encouraging to be around. Now, if you're not encouraging to be around, I am talking to you right now. Discouragement and criticism are not spiritual gifts. They are not spiritual gifts. And if that's your normal mode of communication, stop it and say to God, this has to change in my life. God, help me overcome this. Because the scripture says that when we get together, it's about mutual encouragement. So there must be, therefore, something encouraging about being around God's people. Right? So we, listen, pessimism and Christianity are not compatible. Pessimism, it's doom, it's gloom, it's not going to work out right. Pessimism is not compatible with Christianity. Christianity is about victory in Jesus and the resurrection and overcoming death and the grave and, and my sins are forgiven and I'm washed in the blood of Christ and my name is in the book of life and heaven is my home and I've got victory and spiritual gifts and growth and a life of transformation waiting for me. It's the opposite of pessimism so i want to say to you is there must be then something some enduring quality about being around god's people that is just by its nature then encouraging it's our common faith being exercised together builds all of us living out our mutual faith transforms us into a people that are optimistic and hopeful and positive in outlook let me give you my closing thoughts and i hope this will be an encouragement to you as people of faith we believe that we can change for the better through christ we believe that you can overcome sinful and destructive habits that may have haunted you for some time we believe that the power of god can break the dysfunctional cycles that many of our families were born into. You say, I've got a messed up family tree. Well, get in line. We all do. Bootleggers and rum runners and, 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 and murderers and adulterers and drunkards and, and abusers. Our families are filled with all kinds of problems. And many of us have predilections, predispositions to all kinds of messed up behavior. But we believe that the power of God can transform that brokenness into godliness. We believe that through the forgiveness of God, we can shed our baggage of a sinful past and we can enjoy the hope of a better life. Faith people, people of faith, are committed to helping one another complete this Christian journey victoriously. Faith believes that there is more than meets the eye. Faith, well, let's say it this way, we believe there is more to you than meets the eye. See, by faith, I believe in God. I've never seen him. I believe, you know, heavenly realm. I've never seen it. But it's more than just belief about God. It's a, just a belief about other things as well. I believe there's more to you than meets the eye. You see, Paul, when he first got saved, well, before he was saved, he was a complete jerk. He was a terrorist. Before Paul got saved, he killed people like us. Men, women, children, 
came and put them in chains, drug them to prison. Uh, they were stoned. They were, they, they, they were mistreated. That, that's who Paul was before he got saved. And then when Paul got saved, man, his life was, was just completely transformed. He went from persecuting the church to wanting to be a part of the church and actually wanting to be a, a minister in the church. But when he tried to go to the church at Jerusalem and join the church, they wouldn't have anything to do with him. I mean, here this man is, who, 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 he's a bad guy. But he gets saved and he tries to come and join the church. The church says, no, stay out. We don't accept your kind, your jerk. You killed my cousin, you killed this person, killed my neighbor, you killed one of our deacons, get out. And they would not accept him in the church of Jerusalem, wouldn't receive him. But there was a guy in the church of Jerusalem named Barnabas. Bar, son of, Nabas, son of encouragement is what his name means. And this very encouraging, optimistic guy went and met with Paul, understood exactly what God was doing in his life, and he personally encouraged Paul to get involved in the game. He said, Paul, I realize these people don't want anything to do you, but listen, I'm going I'm to be your advocate. And Barnabas went to the church at Jerusalem and began to speak up for Paul and say, you guys are mistreating this guy. And they're like, yeah, but he killed our family. Yeah, we'll get that. But he's been gloriously saved and he's repented of his sins and he wants to come and be a part of the Christian community now. And Barnabas became an advocate for Paul. Well, I guess you know how that story turned out. Paul became one of the greatest Christians history has ever recorded and wrote most of your New Testament. He personally encouraged Paul. He went and took Paul by the hand, found him at, at uh, uh, Tarsus, brought him down to Antioch and installed him as one of the four pastors of the church at Antioch, one of the teaching pastors. He got pulled apart then to go on all the mission journeys and began to evangelize Europe. But it was Barnabas that made all of that possible. All that you know about Paul. The door was opened by a man named Barnabas who looked at Paul and said, I see beyond where you are today to what you can be. You see, I have faith, and faith says there's more to you than meets the eye. They see a terrorist. I see a great possibility right here. I see an apostle right here. You see, when Jesus called his disciples, he looked beyond who they were to who they would become. They were not great spiritual leaders. They're tax collectors and fishermen. They were not great spiritual leaders, but they would be very shortly. They were not pure in speech, but they would be very shortly. They did not always get the spiritual lessons that Jesus was trying to teach, but in a few days they would be teaching those spiritual lessons themselves. Let me see if I can make the application here. Maybe you're not a great parent. You will be. Because there's more to you than meets the eye right now. You say, maybe I'm not a great spouse. No, but you will be. You will be. It's, it's growth just like everything else. You have to learn. You will be, and we believe that about you. You say, Pastor, I'm not a great disciple maker. No, but you will be. We see that in you. We see the potential that God has for you. Maybe you've never engaged in the mission of the church to make disciples. We know you will. And here's what we promise. With God's help and help from your friends at Cornerstone, we're going to walk beside you and help you be the very best you can be for Jesus Christ. And here's what I want us to do this morning. I want us to make a commitment to one another that by faith we're going to look at each other and then look beyond where we are to what we can become. When you see me, don't just say, well, that's who my pastor is. 
see the potential that I have to be something better. And when I look at you, here's my vow to you. I'm going to look at who you are and not judge you just based on where you are right now. But I'm going to look for that potential in you to see what God could do with a life yielded to him and filled with the Holy Spirit. If someone would pour into you for a few years, what you could become for Jesus Christ. See, God gave every one of us the Holy Spirit. He already is trying to change us from the inside out right now. And we just need to partner with the Holy Spirit, get some disciple makers in our life. And this spiritual family begins to flourish. We all have faith in God. Now let us all have faith also in one another. That we can be better than we have been. And we can be better tomorrow. And then the next tomorrow, we can become all that God wants us to be. Now that we're back in person, we're going to meet together like this and try to encourage each other every week. Here's the conclusion I came to. Most people don't need another judge in their lives. Listen, here's how I approach you when I prepare for you. I don't think you need another critic in your life. I think you're good on that department. I think you've got enough critics already and enough criticisms already from the other voices that you have in your life. What you're longing for is to have an encourager in your life. That's what we are going to be to one another. Because when your faith touches my faith, the result, Paul said, is mutual encouragement. Praise God for you who have encouraged me. And praise God for every one of you who have encouraged each other. The Lord's Supper, communion. It's about Jesus, number one, but it's to be participated by the church family because it's about togetherness. It's about fellowship. Let me open the communion service, and when this is done, we're going to sing a song, and we're going to go, go to our lunch and go to our homes. When, when Paul uh, tried to talk to the, the Corinth church about the Lord's Supper, here's what Paul said to the Corinth church. For I received from the Lord what I also passed to you, Here's what he passed to them. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this cup is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant, New Testament, new, new agreement. In my blood. Just a few weeks we're going to talk about covenants, by the way. I hope it will be very eye-opening for you. This is the new covenant in my blood. Do this. Participate in this communion. Whenever you drink it, in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. When we take communion, we're reminded what Jesus did for us. He gave his own self because he loved this body his body, his church, so much. He's willing to give himself for you. That's what we remember this morning. The love and graciousness of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul added to that this sentence. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Uh, it's not like an examination for melanoma. Uh, you know, you're not looking for a spot or something. Uh, that has a different context today. We say, hey, check yourself out, you know, something about like that. When Paul said, examine yourselves, what he means is look into your heart for a minute. Make sure your relationship with Jesus Christ is 
what it should be. Uh, I'm, I'm going to ask you, there's, there's a cup uh, and the wafer sitting on top of it in plastic right in front of you in that little circle in your seat back. I want you to grab that cup and then I want you to stand to your feet and let's take communion together. There should be, it should be a two-tear situation, so don't break the juice open. There's a very thin part on top that will open the bread separately. Now, let me come back to what Paul said, because we're going to do this a little different, a little more liturgical style of communion this morning. Let me come back to what Paul said. Paul said, before you take the Lord's Supper, before you take communion with the church family, it's all about relationship. We are in a relationship with each other because each of us are in a relationship with Jesus Christ. So he said, check, check your heart. Let's make sure you're right. Now, what that really means is there ought to be a moment of confession before there is a moment of communion. There ought to be a moment of confession. When I taught through the book of 1 John with you, I talked to you about what corporate confession of sins looks like. This morning, we're going to practice together corporate confession of sins, which means I'm going to put a prayer up on the screen, and I'm going to ask you in just a moment to say this out loud with me to God. It's just words on a screen if you don't mean it. This is my caution to you. They're just words on the wall, unless they're not. You say, well, how can I make sure they're not? Well, then as we begin to say them, let the impact of what you're saying penetrate your soul this morning and let this become your prayer, our prayer, as one church united together in Jesus Christ. This is our confession this morning of sins. Uh, Watch the commas and the punctuation. I'll go very slowly. I want you just to say this prayer with me. Merciful and almighty God, our heavenly Father, we have sinned against you in thought, in word, and in deed. Together, we repent of our sins. We celebrate the forgiveness that we have through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. We choose to live as renewed people who reflect your love and goodness We ask that you grant us the strength to love for the glory of your name. Almighty God, who has promised forgiveness of sins to all who confess their sins and repent of their sins, now pardon you and set you free from all of your sins. May he strengthen you to do his will and keep you in eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Let's bow our heads. Father, we ask your blessing upon this cup this morning and this bread. Father, we sanctify the bread and the cup. We set it apart now as special. It's not just bread. And to us, it's not just a cup of juice. They are sanctified as representations of the Lord Jesus Christ, you yourself. Your body which was broken for us and your blood which was shed for us. That we might celebrate today the forgiveness of sins in Jesus Christ. Father, bless these elements, bless this body as we participate in this communion. 
Father, thank you for sending your son. Lord Jesus, we could never thank you enough for giving of yourself in love and kindness and mercy to we who didn't deserve it. Although we don't deserve it, Father, this morning, we rejoice that we have it. We rejoice that we have you as our Lord and Savior. Father, we remember and we worship before you today in Jesus' name, amen. Before you take the bread, let's also practice a common confession before we take the bread. If you would, repeat after me. Lord Jesus, you are the bread of life. By your cross and resurrection, you have set us free. You are the Savior of the world. Amen. Let's take the bread together. Mine closed for just a moment, so I don't spill it everywhere. Before we drink the cup, let's make a common confession this morning. Lord Jesus, when we drink this cup, we proclaim your death and we dedicate ourselves to your mission until you return in glory. Amen. You may drink the cup. If the worship team would come, a little housekeeping to the rest, just tuck all that trash back in that cup, drop it right back in that wire holder. The scripture tells us that after they took communion, at least the first one, probably the subsequent, that they all went out together after they sang a hymn and rejoiced. We're going to sing a hymn of worship, of praise and worship, a hymn, sing worship song. Give us a raucous worship song, by the way. This celebratory this morning. And uh, at the conclusion of this song, you are dismissed, okay? Listen, thank you. Thank you for having the courage to come and mix and mingle. I'm praying for your safety. Pray for my safety. Listen, I think eventually we will all get exposed to this, okay? Be strong. Take care of each other. If you need anything, your deacons will be reaching out to you this week. If on any deacon phone call, you say to whichever deacon it is, here's my situation. I want you to know within minutes, the entire deacon board and the entire staff know what you're in need of. It happens very quickly. It's not one person lifting you in prayer. Suddenly it becomes like 30 people lifting you in prayer, okay? Take care of each other. This is what it's all about. God bless you.